Friends, um, Lent and uh, Ash Wednesday, but Ash Wednesday is just an introduction to Lent. What, what, why are we doing this? What's the point? Uh, and it may surprise some when I say that, that Lent, that the meaning of Lent, the deeper purpose of Lent, is to lead us from a, a, a merely ritualized religion, a kind of, if I could use this word, a kind of dead religiousness, to lead us from that to a place of fruitful and life-giving relationship. Now, I say that that might be surprising to some of us because uh, here we are on Ash Wednesday and we are, of all things, being religious today, right? Um, Some of us are dressed oddly. Um, um, No, I won't continue that joke. But uh, um, we we are going to do ashes for those of you who desire to do that. Um, Not required, but available. And all of this appears, and it is. There's some real ritual here, isn't there? And yet, and yet, it would be a terrible, terrible mistake. It would be a perversion of the whole thing if we imagined that the point of this was merely stops at the ritual. It doesn't. The ritual must become something more. It's more like a window. A window is meant to be seen through, not so much to be seen itself. And part of why I take all this is from uh, the readings. You will notice that both of the readings from Isaiah and from the Gospel of Matthew, both of them are a, a searing critique of mere formal, mere ritualized religion. And in these readings, there is both a a deep and profound challenge that we must feel. Part of the point of the day is to feel this challenge. It's not comfortable, but it's necessary. But then also to point us to a promise. Let me me flesh those two things out, the challenge and the promise. Um, Think about the Isaiah passage. the Isaiah passage begins, very interestingly, it, it sounds like Israel's doing all right, doesn't it? Um, not, not the first line, shout it aloud, don't hold back, raise your uh, voice like a trumpet. But look, look at verse 2. Verse 2 sounds like they're doing okay. For day after day they seek me, says God. That sounds, like, that, that sounds good, doesn't it? They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what's right and has not forsaken the commands of God. But then continuing, they ask me for just decisions. They seem eager for God to come near them. And we find out later that clearly they're fasting and praying. So what's the problem? Well, the problem comes, and it's too long for us to go into it in great detail, but the problem comes as God says, well, when I look at your fruit, in spite of your uh, religious observance, you're very good at fasting and stuff, but when I look at the way you treat people, it doesn't fly because you oppress people. You hold your, your fist tight instead of giving generously. You fight. There's this quarreling spirit. You're quick with the fist, he says. 
You remember, um, if you're familiar with the teachings of Jesus, Jesus says, listen, if you want to know real religion and false religion, one of the ways, one of the things you have to do is you have to look at the, uh, at the fruit. A tree might look good, but if the fruit's bad, the tree's bad. On the other hand, if the, tr- if the fruit is good, then the tree is good. And here, God looks at the fruit of Israel and he says, it's not very good, Israel. Your ritual is not enough. You do not love your neighbor as yourself. And we've got to deal with that. Now, what's the problem? Because is the problem that the ritual needs to be cut out? Well, not necessarily, because the Lord, in a variety of ways, teaches us to pray and to fast and to do these things. So it's not so much that, but what the problem was, it appears that underneath their ritual and their religion, there was an idol of the heart. Now, that sounds odd, because they were probably not obvious idolaters. That is, they were not obviously, literally worshiping gods other than the God of Israel. But what it appears was the case is that they didn't really love God, above all. Rather, they loved something else. It appears that it might, for some of them, been something like pleasure or something like control, perhaps more accurately. They loved something, take control. They loved control, and that was the thing secretly. They probably didn't even realize it, but secretly, that's the thing they held on to. But then they used God as a tool, not because they loved him, but because they thought, hey, he's powerful, I can leverage my relationship with God, perhaps, and, and if I do, if I tick the boxes, then, um, then hopefully that puts God under a certain degree of obligation, and he'll have to do what it is that I want him to do, and my life will turn out okay. Something like that. Probably not saying it like that. But you can see that that must be something of what's going on in, again, the way they treat each other. They, they're striking out at each other. Um, they're, they're angry with each other. They're, they're, they're not compassionate towards others. They're holding their fists tight. Why? They're in, they want control. Maybe they're seeking pleasure. And so God comes with this deep and profound challenge, and he says, Israel, Israel, we're going to have to get past mere ritualized religion, and we're going to have to look at what's going on in your heart, because your heart is ill. Your heart has a spiritual terminal illness. We've got to deal with it. Okay, let, let that kind of float over there. But then... If you go to the New Testament reading, Jesus does something similar. But in it, I want to bring out and highlight the promise that Jesus gives. Once again, Jesus says when you fast and when you pray and when you give, don't do it for outsiders. Don't do it uh, for so that people will think well of you. Instead, the motive needs to be that that you love your Father. You love your Father in heaven, God. You love your Father in heaven. Now, what's interesting is if you take that word Father, which in this part of the um, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uses this word Father again and again. It's It's a profoundly intimate word on the lips of Jesus. It wasn't the normal word that you would use in that time for somebody's relationship with God. You'd use lots of other good words, but you wouldn't usually use the word Father. And here Jesus says, your Father, you have a Father in heaven. And in that is a promise and an offer and a sweet and happy thing. Because in part what Jesus is saying is he says, listen, there's better than just mere religious ritual. There's something better. There's something better. There's a sweet 
intimate relationship with your Father who is in heaven. You can know God as your adopted Father. The word for secret place in these in that reading is a word that connotes intimacy. The word reward. How is the Father going to reward us for praying just for Him and, and for fasting just for Him and, and for giving just for Him? Well, it's not clearly from the larger context, it's clearly not that God's going to give us, you know, a big shiny car or something silly. What what it is is that God rewards us with more of himself, a closer relationship. God is always God's best gift to us. And that's the heart of real religion. That's what the whole thing is about. And the great task in Lent, the great task of the Christian life is to somehow ask God that he would reach down past the surface into our secret idols. He would reach down into those parts of our hearts that we don't even recognize and would take out our idols and instead replace it with this intimate, close relationship with him where we cry out, Abba, Father, I love you and I live for you. And in this relationship with you, it is the relationship that animates all other relationships. That's where the Lord wants to take us. And one of the best ways to describe the work of Jesus Christ is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, became what we are, human, so that by grace we might become what he is, the child of God. That's where he wants to take us. How do we get there? Let me point out two things. One, we all of us, and this is true whether or not you're just kind of investigating Christianity or or whether or not you've been a Christian for a long time and you're listening to me and just going, yeah, I know all of this. Come on, whatever. We need to do two things. We need to feel, feel our terminal spiritual illness. And secondly, we need to receive our adoption in Christ. We need to feel our terminal spiritual illness. In a few minutes, um, we are going to impose ashes. If you like, you do not need to do this. Don't feel obligated. But there will be an opportunity for you to come down, kneel at the rail. And I will take my thumb and make the sign of the cross with ashes on your forehead and saying, remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Repent and believe the gospel. It's the sign of the cross, and it's made of ashes. The ashes remind us that we are mortal, that we will die. We came from dust, we will return to dust. We're going to die. We're terminal, physically. It's true. But it also reminds us more deeply that all of us default to idols. And therefore, there's a way in which we are spiritually terminal. And there's a place for feeling that reality. So that when you feel those ashes on your forehead, you feel the truth that you may not be able to see otherwise, that you are in, and I am in grave and great need of mercy, that we are like Israel. But then it's in the sign of the cross, which is a sign of hope, that in the midst of that terminal illness, God himself, through the cross of Jesus Christ, has done everything necessary for our complete healing. And so we feel our terminal 
illness spiritually. And all the penitence of Lent is rehearsing that and allowing us time to say, to come to terms with the fact that without God's grace, there is no health in us. But then this, we see, we look away, we look to the cross. First, we feel our terminal illness, but secondly, we look to the cross and we feed on our adoption. And that's signified in the cross, but it is also more fully received when we receive Holy Communion. That we come empty, empty-handed, and we receive Christ by faith. And just as we receive food and we contribute none of the calories to the food, but we simply receive it, just as we receive food, so we receive the grace of Jesus Christ, and he heals us from the inside, and he triumphs over our idols. He throws them down, and he replaces them with a relationship with God where we can call him Father, Abba. And that's why, in spite of all the heaviness of this day and of the journey of Lent, nevertheless, it is a journey towards joy. It's the journey towards Easter. Not only Easter as a kind of far-off historical commemoration of something that happened a long time ago, but rather the Easter which becomes the animating story of your life so that you can stand with Jesus Christ before God the Father and say, all of my sin has been washed away, and now all I receive is the love which by rights only Jesus deserves, but now it is my own. And I, my prayer for us today is that we would all of us be allured by that love to come and feel our need. And that's our path today. Amen.